Okay, pick it up at 11.27, page 8.23. They arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered him, We do not know. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully, then sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others to them. They beat others they killed. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants, no, tenants, and give them the wine, to the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it is, mar is it marvellous in our eyes? Then the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them 
and they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and went away. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, please uh, keep your Bibles open to Mark 11. Uh, let me pray for us as we hear from God's Word. Father, we thank you so much that you are good and gracious God. We thank you for today's uh, Bible passage as we consider the authority of Jesus and the leaders of Israel. And as we reflect on that, may we also reflect on the authority and power that we may possess, whether that in the church or at work or in family or amongst our friends. Wherever it may be, may our desire to be like Jesus and may his authority always rule over us and that we may submit to him willingly and joyfully. We ask these things in his name. Amen. There's something addictive about power. Once you have power and authority, it's hard to give it up. Like a drug addict who robs and steals to pay for drugs, some people do anything to hold on to power, even if it means doing the unthinkable. Let's take President Vladimir Putin as an example. Over the past two decades, he's poisoned and killed countless activists and journalists. For example, in 2020, Alexei Navalny was the leader of the opposition in Russia. He spoke up against corruption and ended up being poisoned with a Russian nerve agent and almost died. When he recovered, he returned to Russia, only to then be imprisoned. But as we've seen on the news over the last few weeks, Putin's lust for power isn't constrained within the borders of Russia, but has extended into Ukraine. Ever since Ukraine's pro-Russian president, Viktor Yanukovych, was ousted in 2014, Putin's stranglehold on Ukraine has been diminishing. Uh, since then, as Ukraine became more democratic, Putin became more furious. And as Ukraine expressed a desire to become, of, become part of the uh, EU and to join NATO, Putin became more impatient. So a couple of weeks ago, he gave the order to invade Ukraine, from sending in the Russian uh, military to launching rockets and missiles on innocent civilians, from putting his nuclear forces on high alert to sending in assassins to kill Ukraine's President Zelensky. Any threat to Putin's power, whether in Russia or abroad, won't be tolerated. Putin has shown that he'll do anything to stay in power, and he's living proof of the addiction one can have to power. Oxford University has done some research on this. It says power, especially absolute and unchecked power, is intoxicating. The primary neurochemical involved in the reward of power that is known today is dopamine, the same chemical transmitter responsible for producing a sense of pleasure. Power activates the very same reward circuitry in the brain and creates an addictive high in much the same way as drug addiction. Like addicts, most people in positions of power will seek to maintain the high they get from power, sometimes at all costs. Now in today's passage, we also see it's about power and authority. In some sense, it's on a much smaller scale. It doesn't involve any tanks or anti-aircraft missiles, but just a couple of Jewish blokes having an old yarn at the Jewish temple. Yet in another sense, it's on a far greater scale because it doesn't just involve the power of a few leaders, but the authority of the Son of God and its effects even on us today. 
So verse 27, chapter 11, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the Lord, the elders, came to him. So Jesus is at home. Remember, the temple is God's house. It's Jesus' father's house. And as he's walking around the temple courts, the leaders of Israel come up to him, which included the chief priests, who were the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, the elders who belong to the Sanhedrin. And so we, here we have a, the representative group of people in power and authority. They were responsible for making the temple a holy place, but instead they profited from the temple by turning it into a marketplace. But, but their power and influence weren't limited to religion. They were extremely powerful men. It extended into the realm of politics, and we see this in a couple chapters later, when they influenced... Pilate in crucifying an innocent man. And so these powerful leaders of Israel question the authority of Jesus. They come up to him, verse 18, 28, sorry, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you authority to do this? Now it seems like a reasonable question, doesn't it? Because the leaders of Israel believe that their authority came from God. They've come from the right tribes of Israel, from respected families of God. They've gone to the right universities and studied under the best rabbis of the day. They've got, to the, they've got the status and the surname, the clothes and the postcode to their name. But who's this Jesus? Well, he's a carpenter from a town in outback Israel. He's got no home to lay his head, no university degree to his name. He doesn't come from a well-known family and he doesn't get invited to all the exclusive parties. And yet what has this carpenter been doing? Casting out demons and calming the storm, healing the sick, teaching with authority. He's been de demonstrating his power and his authority on every conceivable area of their lives. And this included his authority in Jewish religion. Because the context of this confrontation is this. Jesus has just threatened their authority on their turf, as it were, in the temple itself, during the most sacred festival of the year, the Passover, where crowds descended on Jerusalem and the temple from all four corners of Israel. But when Jesus got to the temple, he didn't like what he saw. He didn't see a holy temple. He saw an unholy market. He didn't see a place of prayer. He saw a place of commerce. And what happens next must have shocked everyone because Jesus overturns the table of the money changers, flips the benches of those selling doves, stops people carrying merchandise through the temple courts. And then he teaches them from the prophet Jeremiah. Have a look in Mark chapter 11, verse 17. Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? You see, this is the temple. This is God's house. And Jesus is the Son of God, and this is his house. And so he's got every reason to get upset. His dad's name's been dishonored, and his house has been trashed. I mean, we wouldn't like it if someone came to our place and started messing it about, let alone the temple of God, the house of God. And so Jesus isn't afraid to stand up to the leaders of the day, to challenge their authority, to threaten their livelihood, to challenge their status in society and threaten their influence and power. And so how do the leaders of Israel respond? Will they fall into line and accept Jesus' authority? Well, verse 18 tells us, 
the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the crowd was amazed at his teaching. The leaders of Israel feel threatened by Jesus so much so that they want to kill him because the crowd was no longer blindly following them. They were now amazed and attentive to the teachings of Jesus and his authority and began following him. Now it might seem a little extreme that the leaders of Israel want to kill Jesus, but that's the nature of power, isn't it? They loved power. They were addicted to power. They loved the perks and status, the money and the parties. The addiction of power was overwhelming because the power gave them dopamine. It gave them the high that they want and they desire that they need like a drug addict. I mean, just Friday a week ago, the Russians attacked the largest nuclear plant in Europe, in Ukraine, and it caught on fire. It, it was just astonishing to have read that because if it had exploded, it would have been six times worse than Chernobyl and the beginning of the end of Europe today. And it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Why would Putin do that to target the biggest nuclear plant in Europe and risk destroying all of Europe? But we know why, don't we? Because he's addicted to power. He can't lose. Even if it means blowing up a nuclear reactor and destroying innocent lives, bringing Europe to its knees, he must win. And that's the scary thing about people who are addicted to power. Like a drug addict, they can justify their actions, even censor the atrocities, to validate their so-called righteous deeds. In fact, the day before the nuclear power plant was attacked, I read an article in The Age, uh, and Charles Miller, a lecturer in, this, in strategic studies at the Australian National University, made this comment. I fear Ukraine's stubborn resistance could lead Putin whose ego could not accept a humiliating defeat, to try to bomb them into submission. And that's what we see, isn't it? That's what we are seeing played out in Ukraine at the moment. And in a similar way, the leaders of Israel will kill Jesus to maintain their power and their authority, but they won't do it yet. Instead, they challenge Jesus' authority. Verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you authority to do this? Now, Jesus could have simply responded to the leaders by saying, God, God's given me this authority. My authority comes from God. But do you think they would have believed him? They wouldn't have. And so he asked them a question instead. Verse 29, I'll ask you one question. Answer me and I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. Now, Jesus, you see, hasn't been the only person to threaten the authority and power of the leaders of the day. John the Baptist was another. He might have worn camel's skin, but he was a prophet of God who called them a brood of vipers. He, he might have eaten locusts for dinner, but he spoke with the authority of God and called them to repent because he was preparing the way for someone greater. And the people of Israel listened to John the Baptist. They came to the wilderness and, and they were baptized by him at the Jordan River. But the leaders of Israel didn't do that. They stood at a distance and watched. They didn't listen to John the Baptist and instead they probably threw a great big party, party sorry, when Herod chopped off his head. 
But John the Baptist was the real deal. He wasn't a spokesman for any institution or a qualified rabbi or an ordained priest. He was a true prophet of God, speaking the very words of God. And so Jesus asked them, the leaders of Israel, was John's baptism from God or from human? And Jesus asked this question not only because it will put them in their place, but shows their, that their question was disingenuous. You see, if they were to answer what they, what they answer about John the Baptist is also their answer about Jesus. They're linked. And the leaders of Israel realize that they've been caught out. They've been outsmarted. Because in verse 31, they realize that they can't say John the Baptist is from heaven because then they should have believed in him, repented, baptized, and they should have then recognized that Jesus is the one whom John the Baptist prepared. But they didn't do that. And in verse 32, they can't say John the Baptist is from human origin either because everyone knew that John the Baptist was a prophet and they feared the people. And so like well-trained politicians, they don't give an answer. They say to Jesus in verse 33, we don't know. And so Jesus doesn't answer their question in verse 33 either, which was the deal. Now Jesus could have left it at that, right? But he doesn't. He drums it home by telling them a parable. Now this parable has all the illusions of Isaiah chapter 5, where Israel is described as God's vineyard, a vineyard that failed to bear the fruit of righteousness. And so Jesus tells them this parable, the parable of the tenants, not in the vein of Mark 4, so that they won't understand, but with the explicit purpose that they will understand, so that he can expose them for who they are and judge them for what they'll do. And the parable goes like this. A man plants a vineyard and rents it out to some farmers. At harvest time, the landowner sends in his servants to collect his rent. But the tenants, instead of paying the rent, beat and abuse and even kill the servants. The owner keeps patiently sending more servants to collect his rent. But the same thing keeps happening. The servants are turned away empty-handed. Some are beaten, some are killed. And last of all, he thinks, I'll send my sons. Surely they'll be more reasonable. Surely they'll listen to my son. And so the son goes, and what do they do? Well, they see it as an opportunity. They assume the landlord's dead. Otherwise, why would the son come? And so they decide to kill the son and inherit the farm. Verse 7 the tenants said to one another, This is the heir, come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. You see, in their grab for power and what their power can attain, the vineyard, the property, and everything that goes with it, the leaders even dare to kill the son of the landlord. And at this point, the tenants appear to be strong and powerful, and the landlord weak and useless. But the tenants were wrong. The landlord wasn't dead or powerless because he'll come and kill the tenants and give it to others. Verse 9, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. You see, this is the story of God's patience with Israel. Over the centuries, as we see from the Old Testament, God has been sending his servants to the vineyard, 
to Israel. And the servants are God's prophets. But they weren't embraced by God's people. Some they beat, others they killed. And John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets who was just killed. And so now God has sent his one and only son, Jesus. And in their struggle for power, they eventually crucify the Son of God. And so God's no longer going to tolerate their lustful power. He'll destroy them and give the blessings of the vineyard to others, that is, to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And so Jesus makes this point explicit in his quote of Psalm 118, verse 10. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, that is, the most important stone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. See, the remarkable thing is that the leaders of Israel saw themselves in the parable. They recognized themselves as the tenants in the parable. They've, they've been given the privilege to serve as God's leaders and the responsibility to care for God's people. And even though Jesus has just given them another chance to confess, to repent, they refuse because they're addicted to power and what power offers them. Their greed and dishonesty are all too much to give up. And so they dig their heels in, and if it wasn't for the grout, they would have arrested or even killed Jesus right there and then. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. You see, the parable summarizes the history of Israel in a nutshell. And this is a really important point. Jesus, in telling this parable, condemns all of Israel. And their problem, the problem of the leaders of Israel, wasn't a failure to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. It's precisely because they recognized him as the Son of God that they wanted to kill him. They recognized Jesus as the Son of God and because they recognized Jesus as the Son of God, they wanted to kill him. You see, friends, the old adage, all power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely, has never been truer than today. As we've seen, Putin's a great modern example, and so were the leaders of Israel centuries ago. Once a person has power, it's very hard for them to let it go. It can be addictive. Even leading people to kill to maintain power. And when we look at these examples, we might be tempted to think that only people like Putin and Hitler, people who are narcissistic dictators, would lust for such power and do anything to stay in power. But friends, the lure of authority and the addiction to power isn't just constrained to dictators, but can be found in all of us who ever become a leader or a manager, whether that's Donald Trump who wants to return as president or Kevin Rudd who crawled his way back as prime minister in 2013, whether that's a company director trying to control a board or a friend trying to control you. We will go to great lengths to gain power and even greater lengths to retain power. And it doesn't just happen when an assassination is ordered. Political and character assassinations happen every day all the time by people who are addicted to power. 
And so today's passage challenges us, doesn't it? It makes us reflect on the positions we hold and the power we have, whether in the home or office, whether at school or at church. Is the power and position and authority of influence we have become something we must have, an addiction that we crave? And so if we lost our power or influence, then we'd feel the loss of self-worth and value. Because if Oxford University has taught us anything, it's that power can be intoxicating. So we must be on our guard. That's why we have checks and balances, don't we? That's why we form councils and have elections to mitigate the abuse of power. But is that all we can do? Well, as Christians, there's much more we can do. And that's to look to Jesus before his crucifixion and after his resurrection. So before his crucifixion, we can look to Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now you might remember when the leaders of Israel came to arrest Jesus. They came with their servants and soldiers. And one of Jesus' companions grabbed a sword and cut off the ear of a servant of the high priest. And what does Jesus say? Matthew 26.53 says this. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? You see, as the Son of God... As he faces the cross and death, he could have called his father to send 72,000 angels to rescue him, to kill his enemies, to destroy them once and for all. He could have done that. 72,000 angels at his disposal, but he doesn't because Jesus doesn't kill for power. He doesn't destroy to maintain power. He hands himself over to the ones in power and lays down his life for the powerless. You see, Jesus didn't die for us because we were powerful, but because we were powerless. He chose to lay down his life in obedience to his Father. You see, Jesus didn't die for us because we're powerful. He died because we are powerless. That's the first thing we need to remember. Jesus will not abuse his power. He will lay down his power to save his sheep, to obey his Father and to do his will. You see, being a leader isn't about using your power to do your will, to get what you want. Having power is to be a sacrificial leader to do the will of God. But just as we can see how Jesus uses his power before the crucifixion, we can also see how he uses his power after his resurrection. We see this in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so, as the promised Messiah, as God's forever king, he's given all authority in heaven and on earth. You see, the power Jesus has is absolute it's infinite. There's nothing not under his authority. Yet this authority and power that he has as the risen king wasn't something that he took by force, but was given to him by grace. And what, what does he do with this power? What does he want from us? 
He wants us to make disciples. Verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And verse 20, Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus has absolute power, but what does he do with it? What kind of king is he? What does he command to wage war and send his troops to conquer and divide and take by force? No, he doesn't do that. He saves. He makes disciples. He baptizes them with the Holy Spirit. He gives life and not death. When people are given authority and power, they take and take and take. There's never enough. There's always more. But when Jesus is given authority and power, he gives and gives and gives. He gives life. He gives his Holy Spirit. He gives everlasting life. And we can resist his authority. We can refuse his power over us. We can challenge it like the leaders of Israel did. But if we do that, then their story will become our story. We'll be judged and destroyed like the tenants of the vineyard. So friends, we mustn't fall for Satan and the desires of the flesh. We mustn't fight God because we won't win. Instead, we must continue to submit to Jesus joyfully, for he's the risen king, the head of the kingdom of God, who loves us and has used his power to serve us, to bless us, and to save us. So friends, will you join with me in following him and obeying him together as his people, now and forevermore. Amen.